0: section six of early rome by wilhelm ina this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela Nagami. chapter three the legends of the seven kings of rome part two thus alba became subject to rome and the albans were obliged to help the romans in their wars but metius fufetius the dictator of the albans meditated treason and hoped to overthrow the power of rome Therefore, when war had broken out between the Romans and the Etruscans of Fidenae and Veii, and when the Romans and Albans were drawn up against the enemy and the battle was raging fiercely, Medius kept his army back from the fight and hoped that the Romans would be subdued. But Tullus, perceiving the treason, bade his soldiers be of good courage and conquered the Etruscans, and when Metius came to him after the battle to wish him joy on account of the victory, thinking that tullus had not discovered his treachery tullus ordered him to be seized and torn to pieces by horses as a punishment for wavering in his fidelity between the romans and their enemies then the albans were disarmed and tullus sent horsemen to alba who burned the whole town with the exception of the temples and led the inhabitants away to rome from that time alba longa was desolate but the Albans became Roman citizens, and their nobles were received among the patricians, so that Albans and Romans became one people, as the Romans and the Sabines had become in the reign of Romulus. After this Tullus waged many wars with his neighbours, the Etruscans and the Sabines, and he became proud and haughty, neglecting the gods and their service, and regarding not justice and the laws of Numa. Therefore the gods sent a plague among the people, and at last they smote him also with a sore disease. Then he became aware that he had sinned, and he sought to find out the will of Jupiter according to the spells of Numa. But Jupiter was wroth, and struck him with lightning and destroyed his house, so that no trace was left behind. Thus ended Tullus Hostilius, after he had been king for thirty-two years, and Ancus Martius, the grandson of Numa Pompilius was chosen king in his stead. Ancus was a just and peaceful man who made it his first care to restore in its purity the service of the gods. For this reason he caused the sacred laws of Numa to be written on wooden tablets and to be exhibited before the people, and he endeavoured to preserve peace and the peaceful arts as Numa had done, whose example he wished to follow in all things but it was not vouchsafe to him always to avoid war, for when the Latins heard that Tullus was dead, and that in his stead reigned a peace-loving king, who passed his time quietly at home in prayer and sacrifice, they made a raid into the country of the Romans, and thought to plunder it with impunity. Then Ancus left the management of the public worship to the priests, and took up arms, and fought with his enemies, and conquered their towns, and destroyed them and many of the inhabitants he brought to rome and gave them dwellings on the aventine hill therefore ancus enlarged the town and dug a deep trench in that part where the slope of the hills was not steep enough to protect rome from her enemies after this he fortified the hill janiculus on the right bank of the tiber and built a wooden bridge over the river and he conquered all the land between rome and the sea and planted a colony at the mouth of the Tiber, which he called Ostia, and made there a harbour for sea-going ships. And when Ancus had been king for four-and-twenty years, he died calmly and happily like Numa, and the Romans honoured his memory, for he was just in time of peace, and vigorous and victorious in war. At the time when Ancus Martius was king, there lived in the town of Tarquinii, in the land of the Etruscans, a rich and prudent man called lucumo the son of demaratos a noble of the race of the bacchiads of corinth who had been driven by the tyrant Kypsilos out of his native town and had fled to etruria now because lucumo was the son of a stranger the people of tarquinii disliked him and refused him a place of honour in their town his wife tanaquil therefore advised him to leave tarquinii and to emigrate to rome where strangers were kindly received. Thereupon Lucumo set out for Rome. When he had come to the hill Janiculus near the town, an eagle shot down from the air took his hat from his head and flew away with it, and after wheeling about for a time over the carriage in which Lucumo and his wife Tanaquil sat, the bird flew down again and replaced the hat on the head of Lucumo then tanaquil who knew the heavenly signs foresaw that her husband was destined to attain high honours in rome now in rome lucumo altered his name and called himself lucius tarquinius after his native town and he was soon highly regarded for he was wise in counsel, stout in war and kind to his inferiors for this reason king ancus took him for his counsellor confided to him the most weighty matters and before he died made him the guardian of his sons then tarquinius contrived that the people should choose him and not one of the sons of ancus for their king and thus the divine omen which tanaquilla's wife had explained to him was fulfilled when tarquinius had become king he carried on war with the latins and conquered many of the towns he made war also on the sabines who had invaded the roman country with a large and powerful army and had penetrated even to the walls of the city and when tarquinius was at war with them and was in great danger he vowed a temple to jupiter and so he overcame his enemies then he waged war against the etruscans and subdued the whole land of etruria so that the etruscans acknowledged him as their king and sent him a golden crown a sceptre an ivory chair an embroidered tunic a purple toga and twelve axes tied up in bundles of rods thus the emblems of royal power were brought to rome and were displayed by the roman kings as a sign of their dominion over the people when all enemies were conquered and rome had increased in power in size and in the number of its citizens tarquinius determined to make a new division of the people and to appoint other tribes in the place of the romnes the tities and the luceres which romulus had ordained but the gods sent unfavorable signs and the augur hadesnawius opposed the king and forbade any alteration of the old division of the people against the will of the gods then tarquinius thought to mock and to humble the augur and bade him consult the sacred birds whether what he then proposed in his mind could come to pass And when Atisnavius had consulted the birds and had obtained an answer that the king's wish should be done, Tarquinius gave him a whetstone and a razor and said, This is what I purposed in my mind. You shall cut through the stone with this knife. Then Attus cut the stone through with the knife and compelled Tarquinius to give up his intentions. But the knife and stone were buried in the forum, and hard by the spot the statue of adesnawius was set up to commemorate the miracle which he wrought. As Tarquinius could not alter the name of the old tribes nor increase their number, he doubled the number of the noble houses in each tribe, and called those which he now admitted the younger houses of the Romnes, the Titias, and the Luceres. He doubled also the number of the knights and of the Senate, so that the division of the people which Romulus had made, and the old names remained unaltered, except that in each division the number of the houses was doubled. Now to fulfil the vow that he had made in the war with the Sabines, Tarquinius began to build a temple to Jupiter on the Capitoline hill. For this he levelled a place on the hill to lay the foundation of the temple, and as they were digging they found a human head. This was interpreted as a sign that that place should be the head of all the earth and the old sanctuaries which stood in the place where the temple of jupiter was to be built were transferred to other places according to sacred rites which the pontifices proscribed. But the altars of the god of youth and of the god of boundaries could not be transferred, so they had to be left in their places and were enclosed in the temple of jupiter, and this was a sign that the boundary line of the Roman commonwealth should never recede and that its youth would be everlasting moreover tarquinius built large sewers underground and drained the lower valleys of the city which lay between the hills and which till then were marshy and uninhabitable and in the valley between the capitoline and the palatine hills he laid out the forum for a market-place and surrounded it with covered walks and booths he drained also the valley of mercia between the aventine and the palatine and there he levelled a racecourse And introduced games like those of the etruscans which he celebrated every year and called the roman games thus tarquinius reigned for thirty-seven years and gained great renown in peace and in war among the servants of king tarquinius was a virgin called Ocretia, who watched the holy fire sacred to the household god once as she sat by the hearth the god appeared to her in the flame after a while she bore him a son who grew up in the house of the king, and they called him Servius, because he was the son of a slave. One day, when the boy had fallen asleep in a chamber in the king's house, a flame played about his head till he woke, and Tanaquil, the king's wife, saw from this that Servius was destined for great things. Therefore, when he was grown up to manhood, Tarquinius gave him his daughter in marriage, and entrusted to him the most important business of the state, so that servius was in the highest repute among the elders as well as among the people when this became known to the sons of king ancus who were wroth with tarquinius because he had deprived them of their paternal heritage they were afraid that tarquinius would make servius his successor therefore they resolved to have their revenge and they hired two murderers who came to the king disguised as shepherds and said that they had a dispute and that the king should judge between them Now, as they were wrangling with one another, and Tarquinius was attending to what one of them was saying, the other struck him with an axe, and they both took to flight. While the king lay in his blood, a noise and tumult arose in the town, and Tanaquil ordered the gates of the royal house to be shut to keep out the people. And she spoke to them out of an upper window, and said that the king was not dead, but only wounded, and had ordered that servius should reign in his stead until he had recovered. Therefore Servius filled the king's place and sat as judge on the royal throne, conducting all affairs as the king himself was wont to do. But when it became known after some days that Tarquinius had died, Servius did not resign the royal power, but continued to rule for a time without being appointed by the people and without the consent of the Senate. Then, after he had won over a large number of the people by all kinds of promises and by grants of land he held an assembly and persuaded the people to choose him for their king thus servius tullius became king of rome and he ruled with clemency and justice he loved peace like his predecessors numa and ancus and waged no wars except with the etruscans these he compelled to be subject to him as they had been to king tarquinius before him but with the latins he made a treaty that the romans and the latins should live always in friendship with one another and as a sign of this union the romans and the latins built a temple to diana on the aventine where they celebrated their common festivals and offered up sacrifices every year for rome and for the whole of latium then servius built a strong wall from the quirinal to the esquiline and made a deep trench and added the esquiline to the town so that all the seven hills were united and formed one city This city he divided into four parts, which he called tribes, after the old division of the people. And he divided the land round about the city into twenty-six districts, and ordered common sanctuaries and holy days, and appointed chief men over the inhabitants of the districts which he had made. Now, as Servius was the son of a bondmaid, he was a friend of the poor and of the lower classes, and he established equitable laws and ordinances to protect the common people against the powerful therefore the commons honoured him and called him the good king servius and they celebrated the day of his birth as an annual festival but the greatest work that servius did was to make a new division of the people according to the order of the fighting men as they were arranged in the field of battle and as they voted in the assembly of citizens when the king consulted them concerning peace or war or laws or elections or other weighty matters For this purpose, Servius divided the whole people of the patricians and the plebeians into five classes, according to their property, without regard to blood or descent, so that from that time forward, the three tribes of Romulus, the Romnes, the Tities, and the Luceres, and their thirty Curies, formed no longer the principal assembly of citizens, but lost their power in most matters that affected the government the first class servius made to consist of forty centuries of the younger men who were under forty-six years of age and of forty centuries of the older the latter for the defence of the town the former for service in the field the second third and fourth classes he divided each into twenty centuries ten of older men and ten of the younger but he made the fifth class stronger for he gave it thirty centuries fifteen of the older men and fifteen of the younger and the arming of the centuries was not the same in all the five classes for only the men of the first class wore complete armour composed of breastplate helmet shield and greaves with javelin lance and sword the second class fought without the breastplate and with a lighter shield the third without the greaves and so on so that the men of the fifth class were but lightly armed now as the citizens had to procure their own equipment for war and as the complete armour was very costly servius chose for the first class only the richest citizens whose property was estimated at more than a hundred thousand asses that is pounds of copper the assessment of each of the following classes was twenty-five thousand asses less so that in the fifth class were those citizens who were assessed at less than twenty-five thousand asses and those who had less than eleven thousand asses servius arranged in no class at all but made of them a separate century the century of the proletarians and these he exempted from all military service thus servius arranged the infantry in one hundred and seventy centuries and for the horse he took the six double centuries of horsemen which tarquinius had established and to them he added twelve new centuries chosen out of the richest families the horsemen consisted all of younger men for they had to fight only in the field moreover as it was necessary to have trumpeters armourers and carpenters in the army servius made four centuries of them so that altogether one hundred and ninety-three centuries were formed such was the military order of the people when they assembled for making laws or for elections they observed the same order each century having a vote and the chief influence was in the hands of the wealthiest, who formed the eighty centuries of the first class and the eighteen centuries of knights. But the poorer people, although much more numerous, had but few votes. Thus their influence in the assembly was small, and the greatest number had not the greatest power. Nor was this arrangement unjust, for the rich provided themselves with heavy armor and fought in the foremost rank, and when a war-tax was laid on, they contributed in proportion to their property and servius showed his wisdom especially in this that in the assembly of citizens he placed the older men and the younger on an equality in the number of their votes although there were fewer of the older according to the nature of things for he wished that the experience and moderation of the older citizens should restrain the rashness of the younger in this manner the people were arranged as an army for the protection of their country and at the same time as an assembly of citizens to decide all matters which concerned the well-being of the city and no man was entirely shut out from the commonwealth but to each were assigned such burdens and services as he might be able to bear and such a measure of rights and privileges as was just The order of centuries which Servius Tullius had made remained for many ages the foundation of the Roman commonwealth, and although in the course of time it was altered in many ways, it was never entirely abolished, so long as the people of Rome retained their freedom. Servius Tullius had two daughters, of whom one was good and gentle, and the other haughty, imperious, and heartless. In like manner, Aaron's and Lucius, the two sons of the elder Tarquinius, were of different character. The one was good-tempered, the other was vicious and violent. These sons of Tarquin, Servius Tullius, married to his own daughters, and thinking to soften the hearts of the wicked by the gentleness of the good, he gave to the wicked Lucius the sweet Tullia to wife, and the proud Tullia he married to the good-natured Aaron's but matters turned out differently from what servius had expected the wicked ones longed for each other's company and they despised their amiable consorts as weak and mean-spirited therefore the bad lucius murdered his wife and his brother and he took to wife the daughter of servius who had a like disposition to his own so the two evil ones were married and excited one another to new enormities for they desired to possess power and by practising deceit and cunning they made for themselves a party among the nobles and those of the people who were the enemies of servius on account of his new laws now when everything was prepared lucius tarquinius entered the market-place clothed in the royal robes and surrounded by a band of armed men summoned the senators to appear before him and harangued them as king at the report of this usurpation servius was alarmed and hurried to the spot and there arose a quarrel in the senate-house between him and his son-in-law then tarquinius seized the old man and cast him down the steps of the senate-house and sent after him men who overtook him on his way to his own house and slew him in the street but the wicked tullia the daughter of servius full of joy at what had happened hurried to the market-place in her carriage and welcomed her husband as king, and as she was returning through the street where her father lay dead, she ordered the driver not to turn the horses aside, but to drive on over the corpse of her father, so that the carriage and her dress were spattered with his blood. Thus Tarquinius gained the royal power without the consent of the senate, and without the choice of the people, and as he had acquired it, so he exercised it, so that the people called him the haughty and hated him as long as he lived. For he regarded not the laws and ordinances of good King Servius, nor did he summon the Senate for counsel, but reigned according to his own will and oppressed the people high and low. Moreover, he surrounded himself with a bodyguard after the custom of the Greek tyrants, and those among the citizens who were against him or whose wealth provoked his avarice he punished upon false accusation, either inflicting heavy fines or driving them into exile or putting them to death. But the poor he compelled to work at his buildings and made them serve like slaves beyond their strength, so that many killed themselves out of despair. After Tarquinius had established his power in Rome, he turned against the Latins, and on those who would not willingly submit he waged war and made them subject to himself. But the people of Gabii resisted manfully, and he could not prevail against them. Then his son Sextus devised this stratagem. He went to Gabii as if he were flying from his father, and showed his back covered with bloody stripes, and begged the people of Gabii with supplications and tears to protect him from his father and to receive him into their town. Thus the people of Gabii were deceived, and they trusted his words and befriended him, and made him the commander of a company of soldiers. But the Romans fled when Sextus led the men of Gabii, for this had been agreed upon between Sextus and his father. So when Sextus had thus gained the confidence of the Gabine people, and had been entrusted with the chief command, he sent a messenger to his father to ask what he should do. The king was walking in his pleasure grounds when the messenger came, and instead of giving him an answer in words, he struck off with his stick the tallest poppies, and sent the man back. Sextus understood the meaning of his father's reply, and began to bring false charges against the first and noblest of the men of Gabii, and so caused them to be put to death, and when he had done this, he surrendered the helpless town to his father. Now, in order to strengthen his power, Tarquinius united himself to Octavius Mamilius, who reigned in Tusculum, and gave him his daughter to wife, and he established the festival of the Latin games, which were solemnized every year on the Alban hill at the temple of Jupiter Latiaris for all the Latin cities. After this, he waged war on the Volscians, a powerful people who lived in the south of Latium, and conquered Suesta Pametia, their greatest and richest town. With the spoils thus obtained, he finished the temple of Jupiter on the capital, which his father had begun. And the great sewers and the forum or market place. He also adorned the town with many other buildings, for he loved pomp and splendour, and he thought by his great extravagance and by compulsory labor to make the people poor and helpless that he might govern them more easily. End of section six